Welcome to Living Word, growing a family that experiences every promise of God. You're listening to another life-changing word from Pastor Jason Anderson. For more information, visit our website at livingwordonline.com. Father God, I thank you for this time. I ask Lord that you open up our hearts to receive your word. It's bread, it's manna, it's practical. We can use it this week. Lord, we thank you that your word is also seed in our hearts and it produces life in us and grows us and transforms us, hits the good soil of our hearts and changes us miraculously. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be our teacher this morning. Teach us what we need to know. Prepare us for what is coming in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You could be seated. So this, this week, uh, on Friday, I got to go, me and my whole family went to Chicago and got to see Matthew Anderson, our son, graduate from Naval Boot Camp. It was incredible. And we have some photos. How fun is this? So proud, oh my gosh. And uh, he got to carry the flag for his division. He did so good and, and uh, I've been texting him already. He's got his phone, that's the thing, is that when they're in their boot camp, they, they can't, they have no way of contacting you. There's no texting or Facebooking, or it was just like pff, dark, it was tough. It was tough on us, I, it was even harder, I'm sure, on him. And, uh, but now we're texting this morning and seeing how things are going. And super proud of him. So I caught a late flight. Uh, back yesterday afternoon. Now, my father is the greatest, let me just say that, my father is the greatest father, I believe, in, that's ever lived. I do, because, but he was, I'm, I'm partial that way. He's a great, great father. And, and yesterday, um, he forgot to pick me up at the airport. So, yeah. So I, I call, I'm standing on the curb, and I, I call, you know, but I text him, but he doesn't text real well. And, and that's okay, but... But so I called him, and uh, he, it was so funny how he answered the phone. He goes, hello, oh no. <laughs> and that's when I knew I had been forgotten. So, so uh, even the greatest of fathers will sometimes forget their children. Give the Lord a hand clap. <laughs> and today I want to talk to you about family, and that family heals here, and I believe that, that this morning, if you'll receive today's message, and you'll receive what God has for you, the healing, process can begin for whatever needs healing in your family. And there might be all different sorts of things that need healing in our family. It might, might just be your marriage needs a bump, or maybe your, your marriage needs a lot more than a bump and needs, needs healing. Maybe you're a foster kid and you don't even know what family looks like for you. You, you, you were abandoned by your parents and, and, and you don't know what your experience, where, where this is all going to land for you in terms of family, and maybe you haven't talked to your daughter in years, and uh, the last time you spoke to your brother, he said he never wanted to talk to you again. He's never gonna forgive you. Or maybe it's you and your in-laws, and there's all kinds of strain there. Maybe you had a kid marry somebody that you didn't approve of. and uh, You have a, a child not serving God anymore, and there's so many different kinds of things that can go make a mess of what we believe is, is not God's best for, for us in our our family, maybe you're single and you're tired of being alone and you want to be married. Or maybe you're married and you're... I can't. I'm, I'm probably not going to go there. Just deal with it. <laughs> and it says in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3 that it was talking about when, what Jesus came for. And, and as it goes on to say what Jesus came to do, one of, one of the things that Jesus did is, is he bestows on us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And, and so I love the idea of ashes because no matter 
how bad family might be, even if it's been burnt to the ground, it's been so completely obliterated. It looks completely unrepairable and unrestorable. It's, you're like, Pastor, all I've got left is ash out of what's supposed to be my home and family. God's saying, listen, I can, I can still fix this. It's not beyond my capability, but you have a part to do. I need you to give me the ash. I need you to turn it over to me now. I can repaint this for you. I can take your mess and I can make it beautiful. I can take all the ashes, if you'll just give them to me. And really that's my challenge for us today is, is to give God, to let it go and give it to the Lord. And how do we do that? We say, thank you, Lord, that you're handling this for me. Thank you, Lord, that I'm giving you the burden and the cares of trying to fix and create the ideal family. And I'm going to let you do it. Thank you, Lord, that you're healing my family. That you're, you're starting to repair things and rebuild things in my marriage. Thank you, Lord, that things that I couldn't fix, you could fix. What am I doing? I'm learning to let it go and let God have it. In the, in the Bible, the, the, the first use of sprinkling ash on your head. So he's giving you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The first use of it was, was one of David's kids. He had a daughter named Tamar, and she, she sprinkled ash on her head right after her brother had viciously attacked her. And it, it blew the whole family all apart when this happened. All the brothers and sisters just became mayhem. And so it was first used in regards to family drama because family wounds and, and things that have to do with family and close relationships. And when I, when I talk about family, for some, it's not about blood, is it? It's about relationships and people close to them and, and church family. But, but family wounds, they hurt the most. When the people that were supposed to love us didn't, or when the brother that was supposed to protect us attacked us and hurt us, when, when the people who were supposed to be there for us the most, if, if anybody I'm supposed to rely upon is the people who share my blood. When they abandoned us, it's the wound that cuts the deepest. And you think, well, well Pastor, my, my, family's, my family's broken, it's crazy. You know, and, and, and the, the whole country, the whole world, the families are under attack. It's just, it's just breaking. The enemy just loves to attack families and create division in families and, and make it a, a mess. That's not new. You could go back to the very, the enemy always wants to attack family because it's, it's our launching pad. And when this doesn't feel right and when this doesn't feel safe, it's hard to function through the day. When your marriage isn't working, suddenly at work you can't keep your mind on what you're supposed to do. And when, when things are a mess, it makes it difficult for us to advance the kingdom of God and do what, what's, what's in front of us with excellence. And so the enemy comes and he attacks our family at every side. And, and, and you go back to the beginning, the very first family. Adam and Eve, they had two kids, Cain and Abel. One kid killed the other kid. You thought your family was dysfunctional. <laughs> and you go through our Bible stories. It was family drama after family drama. Noah and the, and the two kids covered up the dad, but the other one exposed him. And then Abraham, he keeps pawning off his wife like it's his sister to these men of these, the, that are leading these different regions. He's giving his wife away, but then his wife gives him to her maidservant, he sleeps with her and has another kid, and then now there's all this drama because the two women are mad at each other, and then Sarah, his wife, has the promised child, Isaac, but Isaac, and then his child from the other woman, Ishmael, they're battling each other, they don't like each other, it's just family drama. This is our great Abraham, had family drama. You thought your family was dysfunctional. 
Jacob and Esau are born twins. They were fighting before they were out of the womb to see who would be born first. Jacob deceives his father, Isaac, to steal the blessing from the brother, Esau, who then Esau chases him out of town trying to kill him. You thought your family was dysfunctional. These are Bible, these are the first Bible families, mind you. You thought your kids didn't get along. Jacob has 12 sons. 10 of them sell one of them into slavery <laughs> for 20 bucks or 20 pieces of silver. They were going to kill him. And Joseph's story is the one I want to really talk about today. Is, is that his family was literally burnt to ashes. But God's going to put it back together. And the way it starts out is he has a dream and his He's telling his brothers about the dream that all these things are bowing down to his stuff and it looks like he's going to be a leader and the brothers get jealous and they're already jealous of him because it seems like dad loves Joseph the most. So these other 10 brothers decided to kill him. But right before they're going to kill him, one of the brothers has an idea. His name is Judah. He's like, well, why don't we sell him instead? At least we get some money. And so they sell him into slavery. And, and you know, Joseph can't go on Facebook and make a post that's mean and he can't text his dad, hey, I just got sold into, that's it, you're done. You're sold into slavery, there's no out, there's no freedom, there's no term they are going to serve, and one day you can return, that's it. He just, they just stole his family, they stole his father, they stole relationship, they stole his home, they stole his inheritance, they just stole everything from him, his whole entire life. And he goes into slavery. He serves there, he's great, God elevates him, but he goes ends up in prison because of some false accusations. And then he serves God and he's great in prison. He interprets some dreams, finds himself in front of the Pharaoh, interprets his dream and has a plan for the famine that God showed Pharaoh was coming to the land. The famine was going to last seven years. It's going to be great. Seven years of prosperity, seven years of famine. Well, Joseph's put in charge to run the whole deal. He's in charge of all of Egypt now, right? He's been elevated. Now that dream God brought to pass, to fruition in his life. And his brothers come because there's famine in the land. And after two years, they had run out of food. They traveled a great distance. And his brothers come and ask him for food, but they don't recognize him. They didn't know it was Joseph. They're just asking some dude for food. But Joseph recognized them. So Joseph kind of starts to troll them a little bit, like kind of starts to play with them, play some tricks on them and stuff. And he's trying to figure it, all this stuff out. And then we're kind of dropping in right here. Where, where Joseph decides to reveal himself to his brothers. And this is what he says. He says to his brothers, come close. Apparently they hadn't been allowed close enough to recognize him. Come close. Come here, brothers. He said, it is I, Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. And then he said, but don't be distressed. And don't be mad at yourselves. For God sent me ahead of you that I might be able to save you. Okay, says a couple more things, then I want you to catch this last scripture as we go to it now. He says, it's, the Bible says, he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin. Now, Benjamin didn't have nothing to do with the selling him into slavery thing. And he wept, and Benjamin erased him, and they wept. This, this is that moment, right? This is the end of the movie, the climax. The music is climbing. Everything's, ah, this, ah, it goes into slow motion. Boom. And that healing starts to happen. You, you see, for, for Joseph, the climax of the movie 
wasn't that he got elevated and promoted to second in command of all of Egypt. That was his dream come true, but God wasn't finished. The climax of the movie didn't happen until God restored his family entirely. Because why? Because it doesn't matter how much success you have on this planet or how much money you gain. What matters is the people that you love. Can I get a hand clap? That's what matters. That was Joseph's desire, and God's about to bring it to pass. But Joseph had a part to play. He had to give God all the ashes. He had to give God the brokenness. He had to turn it over to the Lord. The Bible goes on to say that, watch this, he kissed all of his brothers and he wept over them, all of them. As he walked around and gave each of them, every single one of these brothers. This is really interesting. He could have been bitter. Right? He could have just hugged Benjamin and been done with it. But instead, he walked over to the, to, the, to the brothers who had sold him, to the brothers who wanted him dead, who would be, Levi, come here, man. Come here. Come here. Don't be angry at yourself. That's what he said to him. He said, don't be mad at yourself. Come here. What was he doing? Like, the walls of Jericho are coming down, man. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He didn't make him change. He didn't be like, listen, I need an apology from you. I need, I need to know that you'll never do this sort of thing again to anyone. You're, I'm not going to hug you until I fix you. But instead, he just embraced them exactly where they were, exactly as they were, every single one of them. He went to Reuben, the oldest, and then he went to Simeon, and then he went to Levi, and then he went to Judah, but then he went to Gad, and Dan, and Asher, and Issachar, and he's, he just, every single one, come here, I don't, I don't care. It doesn't matter about all the drama right now. Water under the bridge, bro, come here, because we're coming back together right now. And that hug and that embrace allowed all the junk just to fall off. And what was he doing? He was saying, I'm letting it go because I'm letting God take over now. It's a powerful thing. And the picture that he shows us, and I want you to get this, is that when you let it go and you give God your ashes, what you're doing is you're saying, is you're saying I'm embracing everything the way it is right now. Because I'm trusting that God isn't going to leave it here. And God would. He would bring everything back to Joseph. His father would come back. They would all settle in the land of Goshen. They would come together. He was complete healing when restoration was happening in his life. But what, what are we learning here? We're learning to, to just let it go and embrace what you have. Embrace what family looks like. Well, Pastor, it's a mess. I know, but it's, it's your mess. You might as well just love it. My mom and dad... See, see, in my family, you know, they look at me, you're like, oh, your family is it's all functional and perfect. Listen, I'm one generation from crazy. Can I just say that? <laughs> my mom and dad grew up in crazy. Okay, so the, all their parents and all their family, all around them, everywhere, every direction you can look, everything was broken. Everything was shattered. My mom, when she was eight months old, the, the abuse began by a drunk father who would beat her, and then that mom got... Her, her mom divorced that man and married another man, and my mom dealt with a lot of pain and, and rejection from her own mother for many years and ended up living with her grandma for a time. My dad, his mom, left him when he was four, promising I'll be back on Saturday, and every Saturday he would sit by the road and wait for every car that drove by that two-lane highway in the north woods of Wisconsin. And he would say, well, I hope that's my mom at four years old, and every car that drove by was never his mom. Week after week on Saturdays, he would just sit by the road, hoping that would be his mom, and his mom never came back. They grew up in and knew what it was to be unloved and rejected and broken. Not protected, but instead abused by those who were supposed to love you. They know. One year when I was 14, my mom and her mom would fight. We lived in Arizona and she lived in Minneapolis. And 
Grandma lived in Minneapolis, and they'd be on the phone fighting and anger. And but one, one day, my mom says she just decided to embrace what she had. Yeah, sure, my mom might be a mess in my eyes and maybe wasn't there for me when she was supposed to be, but she is my mom. So I'm just going to love her the way she is. I'm going to stop trying to fix her and stop trying to change her, and I'm just going to hug her. And, and so they, they got a, they, she, my mom paid for a trip for just the two of them to go away. And after that trip, the relationship completely healed. And come to find out, my mom found out from her mom that she had never felt loved for who she was. Now, it, some of the other sons may have loved her for who she was, but she never felt it until she felt it from my mom, and it healed everything. What did my mom have to do? Just embrace what I have. Give it to God. Let go of the burdens of trying to fix everything. Let go of the burdens of trying to paint this relationship out the way I think it needs to be painted out. Let me let God paint. Let's let the creator create. Let's let the builder build. Let's let the potter put it back together for us. Let's let the healer heal. Let's let the carpenter carpent. My dad started to send, he, he had me search back in, in when Yahoo was just a thing and we we're still on dial-up modems. He had me do Yahoo People Finder and through a series of little bits of information he knew we were able to find his mom on the internet and where she lived. He started to send her roses for Mother's Day once a year. He hadn't seen her since he was really four. And, and, but then one year after maybe six or seven years of doing this, he got a phone call. Why do I keep getting roses from this person named Tommy? Tom, Dr. Tommy Anderson. And, uh, and these, these, this man calls him, and why are you sending my mom roses every year on Mother's Day? So he starts to explain why th I think that's my mom. And they went and talked to, and, and you know, every year she would talk about Tommy. And they never knew who Tommy was. You see, when she remarried, her new husband forbid her to know anything or do anything with her old prior life. The, her new kids and her new family knew nothing that my dad even existed. And then all of a sudden, her new husband died and then she was searching for Tommy, her son. And then my dad flew her out and the brothers and sisters came out. It was like this kind of Joseph moment where there was all this hugging and we were there and me and Kelly were there and we're getting to meet our grandma for the first time. And God did this great thing, but not because my dad held on to bitterness, not because he said she abandoned me, I don't ever want anything to do with her, but because Christ on the inside of him forgave and caused him and gave him the strength to reach out and to love her exactly the way she was. Change nothing about yourself. You might be a mess, but you're my beautiful mess. You're my mom. And God can take these things and he can make them beautiful. He can. Deuteronomy 18, 18 says, I will raise a, a prophet up from among your own people. And you know, God has done that in you. When you chose to believe in Jesus, you became the prophet among your own family. And now he can use you as a passageway to bring restoration and to bring people into the kingdom. And all these people in my 
parents, family, and their lives, everyone surrounding them began to receive Christ and get born again and find salvation. Why? Because there was a prophet among them. But the Bible goes on to say, and I will put my words in his or her mouth. You see, God has a, a, a right strategy and a right plan when you finally give it to him. God, take this mess and make it beautiful. Take my ashes. Take my marriage. Take these things. And now I'm not going to try and carry the weight and the burden of fixing my family into the ideal picture that I think that I want. And I'm saying, God, I'm trusting you to do things better than I could ever have done it. I'm giving you my ashes. And what does he do? He starts to give you the plan, the strategy. He starts to put his words in your mouth and give you the right things to do. Say, why don't you just send her flowers every Mother's Day? Why don't you ask your son to help you find her? What does he do? He, he gives you the plan. My wife and I, we, we had in the year 2000 a house built. We, we, we got to watch it being built. They put the foundation down and they put up the, the, and you could walk through it, you know, they put the two by fours up. I don't know if you've ever done this uh, yourselves, but it was really interesting as we'd walk out there and as it was being built, it was messy sometimes. There'd be concrete bags and there'd be thirst busters and cigarette butts right there on our construction site, you know. But you know, we never complained about the mess. Why? Because we knew it was in process. We knew what it was gonna be. Right? We knew that it was still under construction. You ever seen those signs? You go somewhere like the mall and they're doing things and it says, pardon our dust. And people might look at your process and look at your family and look what's happening and say, oh, are you okay? Man, what a mess you have. Oh, it's okay. I'm just under construction right now. God is rebuilding my family right now. Just pardon our dust. Just pardon our mess. I'm not worried about it. You shouldn't be worried about it. And sometimes things might look a little worse before they get better, but there is a plan, and God's executing that plan in your life. Why? Because you've given it to him. You said, Lord, I'm trusting you with this. I'm giving you the burden of fixing my family. You know, there might be nails on that construction site. There might still be things that can hurt and wound. That's an important thing. When we would go and look at our construction site, I would not just let my children run around because they could get hurt. They could get splinters. They could get nails stuck in their feet. If you're in a situation where things could still be hurt, you've got someone in your family that could actually bring a wound to your children, hurt them through abuse or something, you still have to be smart about that. I'm not saying we just open up our doors and let everyone live with us. What I'm saying is, is we're learning to give it to God. We're learning to embrace the situation we have and to pray and to love the people in our world exactly as they are. We still have to be vigilant and safe and not allow our children to be wounded. Do you understand? Give the Lord a hand clap. So what does it look like for you? You embrace what you have exactly as it is right now. Maybe it's in-laws. Maybe your son or daughter married someone you didn't approve of. Well, what are you going to do with that? You're just going to embrace them exactly as they are. You're going to trust that God, even though your, your daughter married Mr. Wrong, God can turn him into Mr. Right. God can redeem the situation and make it whole. You're just going to learn how to embrace those in-laws that you haven't been able to get along with. You're going to embrace your situation. Maybe you're single and you've been crying out to the Lord, God, when are you going to finally send me the right guy, the right girl? When are you going to finally release this to me? I don't want to spend another Christmas alone. And what I'm saying is, is embrace your situation and just recognize that, that God will meet every need that you have, that Jesus can be the, the husband to the husbandless. You just hook up to what you have and love it 
be content in every situation. And when you give it to God and remove the burden, it's amazing how God can start to open up the doors for you now, how he can begin to create the right pathways. You're not striving. You've entered into his rest because you're trusting him. I know a girl who decided, I'm, just, I'm, I'm done trying to find the right guy. I'm just going to be married to Jesus. If God brings him, whatever. I don't care. I'm just going to be married to the Lord. I'm going to be in the word. I'm going to be in prayer. And that's going to be my life. And, you know, within three months, God brought the right man to her life. She flew out to Texas. She met this guy. They fell in love. He ended up being the most amazing man. Turned out to be the most amazing father. Been a, an amazing minister. They've gotten married and had a, a great family together. What happened when she finally let go and gave it to God and chose to embrace her current situation? To be content and to be happy with exactly whatever is in your current path. Come on and give the Lord a hand clap. That's good. And so often, I think that we make comparisons. We look at the Christmas photos coming into our house and we see these beautiful, perfect families. Everybody's smiling, everybody's happy. And you look at the Christmas photo and you're like, I want my family to be happy like that. How come I don't have what they have? That's a trap, don't get into that. You don't realize that they had a massive blowout on the way to that photo. They were yelling at each other. The only reason they smiled in that moment is because somebody said, say cheese, and they all went, da, 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 da. That's all you got. You got a glimpse of a moment. Sometimes you see a post on social media that wounds you a little bit, nicks you. You're like some couple. They're like, yeah, me and my wife, we hiked Mount Everest and we found a secluded hot spring where we had a picnic of wine and cheese and drink in each other's gaze. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know what my life looks like? Well, I was trying on a date, but I had to take my kids to soccer practice. And then the baby had a blowout and I changed a poopy diaper. It took 20 minutes, had to have new clothes. I, it felt like the Chernobyl nuclear meltdown. It my kid doesn't even eat that much. How many of you know what I'm talking about when they, more came out than they ate. That's my post. I, I literally saw this one just the other day. It said, my, my husband and I ran a marathon. It was a dream come true. I was like, me and my wife would never think of that as a dream come true, to run a marathon together. Are you kidding me? If we ran a marathon together, I am destined at some point to make a wrong turn and that'll be a deal breaker for her. She'd be like, that's it, I'm out. That's the last straw. I think the only time you should run is when someone's chasing you. <laughs> Running is of the devil. That's a scripture somewhere, I think, too. And my, my wife and, and Holly are best friends, sister-in-laws. And you think, wow, oh, they just make it look so easy. But you know, my wife and I, we were talking about this message, and she allowed me to share this story. The truth is, is that when we first all got married, there was, they were very different people. Holly and Kelly, very different people. They don't like the same things. They're very opposite in the way they think. They're both great people, but their personalities don't come together easily. They are unlikely of best friends. After nine years of being sister-in-laws, because we all got married the same year, they sat down at a, uh, after a family event had happened. And they never were publicly mean to each other, but they had a difficult time getting along, for sure. Just like sister-in-laws do sometimes. Just like in-laws do. I just can't, I can't stand my mother-in-law. I can't stand my father-in-law. They sat down and they decided, we're going to be friends. We're not going to let these things separate us anymore. They talked out some of the things that had happened in the past, and they decided for the sake family for the sake of their they, my wife says now she realizes it was really for the sake of all the children to be best friends and now they have the healthiest most amazing relationship 
But it took work. It took a decision to embrace, well, this is my sister-in-law. Well, this is my brother-in-law. We have to figure it out. Well, Pastor Jason, I look at your family. You don't even know what family drama looks like. Listen, I grew up with Pastor Scott. <laughs> have a little compassion here. I deserve a trophy. At some point, we just embrace what it is that's in our world. And then God begins to move and figure things out. Well, pastor, it's not right what my family did. I can't forgive them. I just can't. The injustice. They stole the inheritance. They stole everything. You know, Joseph could have done that. He could have been bitter. He could have said, you know what? They sold me into slavery. Now I've, all the cards are in my hand now. Now I have all the power. Right? Now I can get my... My justice, you don't deserve to eat. You don't deserve land. You don't deserve none of that. He could have said to his brothers, he could have isolated them all. He had every right, and I don't think we would have blamed him for it. They had, well, they had that coming to him. But instead, he chose to let them all in, to forgive, to embrace what he had, to love them exactly as they were, brought them over to the land, fed them, saved their lives, saved their families. It's a powerful thing that he did. What he shows us is that when we give all the injustices away and give it all to the Lord, then God becomes our vindicator. He becomes our reconciler. Colossians chapter 1 and also Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how Jesus is the great reconciler. I was an accountant early on in my life and did accounting here at the church, but also companies would hire me when their accountants were at their wits end, didn't know how to fix something, and they'd run into a problem they couldn't reconcile. I would come in and the Lord had given me some kind of gift or something where I could look at stuff and I'd go, oh, I'll bet it's in that number. And then I could dig in and get in the computer and pull out the papers and I'd be like, okay. And I'd follow, I would find a little thread in, in, a, in a massive accounting mess and I would start to untangle it. And for some reason it came, four or five hours later, I'd be like, there it is, boom. And I would hand off the, I was able to reconcile the accounts very quickly when other people couldn't. I want you to know that Jesus can do that for you. They may have stolen from you. I hear it all the time. Anytime an inheritance happens, just so you know, people are going to steal it. Don't be surprised. It happens all the time. What are you going to do? What did Joseph do when they stole his inheritance? They stole his family. He just chose to embrace them. The relationship was more important to him than the money. He played different than everyone else on this planet, and he got different results. When you choose to let Jesus be your reconciler, which he is, he'll settle the account in your favor. They're not going to ever be able to pay you back for what they did. That person who stole your childhood and your innocence can't pay you back for what they did. You might still have to send them to prison to protect other people. I'm not talking about that sort of thing. I'm saying that when you choose to give all of your family and all of your injustice to Jesus, the reconciler, what does he do? He begins to settle the account in your favor. And when, when Joseph restored his family, the Bible says that Jacob, his father, came and gave him the oldest son's double portion. A double portion meant you got double the inheritance of all the other kids. Joseph was the 11th born. So when Reuben lost the double portion, he was supposed to go to the next son. And then if they lost it, it would go to the next son. And then if they lost it, it would go to the next son. If they lost it, how did Reuben lose it? Well, he did something funky with his father's concubine or something. I don't know, it's a mess. I don't even want to talk about it. But he lost the double portion. There was defilement. Let me just leave it at that. And it went to Joseph. 
Joseph got the double portion of all the inheritance. If he hadn't reconciled with his family and brought his father back and forgiven, he would have never seen that double portion. It's the same thing for you. It might be unfair what you went through. It might not be right. But if you'll give the injustice of it all to Jesus, the great reconciler, Jesus, it wasn't right what they did to me, but I'm letting it go. I'm casting it on you. I'm choosing to let it all go and give it to you. You settle my account. Jesus, can, he can pay you back far more than the courts ever could. He can pay you back far more than your family ever could. He can pay you back far more. Come on and give the Lord some praise. He can do things that are impossible and move on your behalf to give you double what was stolen from you. He saw the unfair treatment and he can settle the account. We have to learn how to trust Jesus. Don't stay bitter, but do the better thing. Embrace what you have. Choose the relationship over the wound and over the hurt. Choose to let it go. Put it in God's hands and let Jesus do what Jesus does. In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8, it says, We are the clay. Say clay. And you are the potter. We're clay. You know clay can get too rigid. We're trying to let God form up our family. But sometimes we make statements and vows to ourselves that cause us to become rigid and immovable with what God is trying to plan out for our family. If you're gonna truly give it all to Him, then you have to follow His plan and you have to give up your plan. Many are the plans of, the, of a man's heart, but it is the Lord's will that prevails. We want the W, right? And so it's not gonna be about our plan, it's gonna be about God's plan. We get so rigid when we say things like, well, I'll never forgive them what they did to mom. I'll never let them in. I'll never let that go as long as I live. As long as there's breath in my lungs, I will never, and we make a statement. I'll never get married again. And God's up in heaven going, no, 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 I have the best restoration plan for you. It's all ready to be executed. But you just got rigid with the clay and the potter can't do anything with it, with that rigidness. He needs soft, pliable clay. We have to say, God, I give up my nevers and I choose your plan. I'll never adopt. Because like, no, no, I have the perfect family in store for you with this kid and you and it was gonna be so perfect, but why did you get rigid? I have a plan, I'm trying to work it out, but can you be soft, can you be pliable, can you be moldable clay? We have to be pliable in the potter's hands. A potter, if the clay gets too dry, according to what I've read, they'll set it out and have to dry it all the way. You can't make it wet again once it gets a certain dryness. They just have to let it dry all the way out. And once it gets all the way dry, they smash it with a hammer. And I'm not saying God's going to smash you with a hammer. I'm just saying, be careful with your dry. <laughs> they break it into a million pieces, then they put it in water and mix it again and try and restore it. That's what it takes. You say, Pastor, I think it's already been broken in a million pieces. It's too late. We're just ash. There's a church in Ravana, Italy, where people travel from miles around to see exquisite art, take photos, look at this. And it's not oil paintings and it's not sculptors like we're used to, sculptures like we're used to, in Italy especially, in the art. Instead, these art, this art and this shirt is made up of little broken pieces of tile, different colors, crystals, different colors of broken glass, all arranged and assembled. All the little pieces picked up and put in a certain order to create beauty. 
This is what our God can do for you and your family. Pastor, it's too late. There's too many broken pieces. No, no, no. Just put it in Jesus' hands. Let the artist take all the broken pieces and rearrange them all because he's gonna take your ashes and he's gonna turn them into something beautiful, a crown of beauty, because God can do anything if you'll put it in his hands. Come on and give the Lord a hand clap. And so I wanna pray for you. If you've ready to receive this message today and to embrace what's in front of you, to put it in God's hands, to let Jesus be the reconciler of all the injustices that have happened. If you're ready to, to let go, I'm gonna pray for you right now. I want you to stand up on your feet because I wanna pray for restoration to happen in every area of your life, all of your relationships. Whatever it is, it might be small, it might be big, just stand up on your feet that we might declare this. Because if you'll be willing to put this in God's hands, mm, let's just do it right now. Just repeat after me. Thank you, Lord. I put this in your hands. I'm not trying to fix it. I'm not trying, I'm not carrying the burden, but I give it to you. Reconcile my account. Settle my family. Bring peace into my household. Let love bind us together. Restore all things. Give me the strategy. Put your words in my mouth. Give me the strength. Stir in me the love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I declare over you in the name of Jesus as you've given it to the Lord that God has started the healing process. He has already started and moving. His spirit has already been released all over this planet to start executing a plan that will bring restoration, wholeness, forgiveness, and peace to your entire household. But it's not just gonna impact you in your lifetime, but like my parents, it's gonna impact your children with peace and wholeness, and it's gonna impact your children's children with peace and with wholeness. God is bringing it back together in Jesus' name, shout out, I believe it! Amen! Thank you so much for joining us today. And we're going to continue this conversation on our daily Bible study. You can go to YouTube and type in daily Bible study. We're the number one daily Bible study in the world on YouTube. And we're going to continue this conversation. We do a morning scripture. We pray every day. It's maybe 10, 12, 15 minutes long. Yeah. Subscribe to it. You're going to love it. we got our Married for Life book out there. You know... Me and Holly found out that, you know what destroys relationships? Fights. And you know what? There's a way to get in and out of arguments in less than five minutes and get rid of 98% of all the fights that are going on out there. So, you know, imagine if you got rid of all those fights. Well, how do I do that? How do we get rid of the dumb fights and then be able to get in and out of fights in five minutes? And if you enjoy my stories, every chapter has some of me and Holly's dumbest fights. We fought <laughs> over potato salad, flip-flops. I love it. You name it, we have. And so you can get this on Amazon. Just type in Married uh, for Life and Scott Anderson. You see all the books that I have. We want to spend a moment, and if you're watching this and you're not saved and you don't know where your eternity is going to end up, it's so simple. You know, it's not about rules. It's not about religion. It's not about following a set. It's all about believing. If you believe in Jesus Christ, 
you're saved. Simple, easy. Say this prayer after me. Believe in your heart and you have it. Everybody say, Dear Father, I ask you right now, come into my life, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for all of my sins and was raised from the dead. I believe that Jesus is the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. You're saved. Amen. Well, if you want, we would love to have you partner with us in what we're doing. You know, this word that Pastor Scott's preaching, it's going all over the globe, the daily Bible study as well. And you can be part of what we're doing around the world. So I just encourage you, visit wakeuptv.tv. You can donate right there and join the team of believers that are making a difference. And if you don't have a church home, find one. It's so important to a great life that you are planted in the house of the Lord. Remember that this is the day that the Lord hath made. Come on, let's rejoice and be glad in it. See you next time.